Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Inkheart. Inkheart was originally published as Tintenhertz in Germany <laughs> and was written by uh, Cornelia Funke in 2003. And the film adaptation uh, in 2008 was directed by Ian Softley. Uh, yeah, so we're doing Inkheart, and I'm... Really excited to uh, to talk about this one because uh, this was like my favorite book for a long time when I was younger. Really? Even though I never reread it. I only <laughs> ever read it the But once. you've famously not reread a lot of books. Like Ian has never reread Harry Potter until we started doing the episodes. I I, I never reread anything until we started <laughs> doing the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but for some, something about this book just really uh, struck a chord with me. I really liked it. And I, you know, claimed it was my favorite book for a long time. And it was funny going back into it because I only had like the vaguest. Like I remember the general premise. Yeah. And then only like the vaguest idea of like kind of plot points. Like I kind of had suspicions of things that may happen. But like most of it was a blur to me. Yeah. And I couldn't remember if I had read this book when I was younger or not. I don't think I I did. I think my sister read it and she may have told me about it. So like that can sometimes create like a false memory. And then I think I maybe watched part of the movie at one point as well. It's very hazy. Yeah, Cornelia uh, Funka also wrote um, The Thief Lord, which was another book I really liked, which we I, I was just telling Adina, I'm like, I think that's a movie too. <laughs> um, boy, it's really hard to to remember if it was or not. But Yeah, I mean, it was a long time ago. And I, feel like I've heard about a Dragon Rider adaptation in the works for like a long time. Like I think an animated one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she's had a lot of really, really popular books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at least this one adaptation, maybe two, depending on Thief Lord. Yeah. And Inkheart has two sequels, um, Ink Spell and Ink Death, which is interesting fact that I read about. Apparently the German translation of the second book is actually more like ink blood. Mm, interesting. So like heart, blood, death. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And I don't know why they changed it for the English Maybe one. they thought it was like too... Ink blood. Ink blood. But then the last one's still ink death. Yeah. In English, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the other thing too, was like, as much as I liked the first book, I remember I started to read the second one. I don't know. I got like partway through it, maybe halfway through it, and I was like, eh. I don't know why I just kind of like petered out on it maybe it was totally fine I don't remember but yeah uh yeah so uh let's talk about uh, and and also I had never seen the movie until we watched it a couple nights ago what an experience what a what a ride to relive (laughs) this book and see the movie yeah let's talk about kind of the main characters and the setting of this story we have Mo and Maggie, a father and daughter, and she calls him Mo, which I kind of like. I do too. Yeah. Because they have a really, um, I don't know, really cool bond that yeah. I like yeah. in the story. Like they really, you know, rely on each other, really love each other a lot. Um, she really respects like what he does for a living, which is like uh, repairing old books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like because like as the story continues, you keep learning about little things that they like inside jokes or like. You know, at one point they write notes to each other in a elvish language from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Because they both learned how to write in that. Mm-hmm. You know, just like little things that keep 
reminding you of how close their bond is. Yeah. Which I really like. I like that too. And they, you know, her mom is out of the picture. We don't know why at the beginning. Um, and they kind of live in one place for a little while and then move on. Um, so she doesn't really have other friends cause she hasn't really had a chance to meet anyone else. So I think that also explains why they're so close and yeah. they both share an intense love of books. And I love the way the book, uh, describes their house that they're living in at the beginning, like just books being everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Books are very heavily present throughout the whole story. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we even get introduced really, to the characters in the film, we get a voiceover. Yes. That happens honestly so quickly. Like, I think it's before the production company <laughs> logos are even off the screen because we had to turn my the TV up a little bit watching it. And like, I had to find the remote. I'm like, oh my God, they're already talking. <laughs> and it's a voiceover by like no one who's a character in the story. And in summation, the voiceover is like, okay, listen, listen, listen. There's there are these people. They're called uh, silver tongues. Uh, they can read things out of books. Uh, some people don't know they're silver tongues until um, it's too until late. It's too late. Um, so you know, <laughs> if you're bored at the beginning, just remember this that like yeah. things are gonna pick up. Yeah. Okay, and action. And a Red Riding Hood cloak. <laughs> and a Red Riding Hood cloak. Yeah. It's like a flashback, yeah, to when Mo was reading when Maggie was just a baby. But like, I don't know. It just felt like such a like a note the producers gave after watching like a first cut of the film being like, listen, we got to like we got to hook them right away. We got to get them faster as if people aren't already. They're dumb. They don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be bored in two seconds if they don't know there's going to be magic involved. Uh, So I just kind of thought that was funny and also didn't give me the best impression right off the bat. Yeah. Um, But yeah, but then uh, in the film, they're in a, a town and Mo is trying to find a book, an unknown book at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think it's in Sweden, actually, that this town is in. Oh, supposed really? to be. That's what I read. I really like the feel of this scene. They're kind of in this like outdoor book market. Yeah. And Maggie is like kind of like, oh, look at this. Look at this. And that's exactly how I would be. I'd just be browsing, you know. And Mo is kind of in an inner like bookstore in inside and uh, is also kind of looking for he's fondling all the books he's just like running his hand over all the books and he's like "Mm," trying to and not only that but the books are whispering (laughs) oh my god i (laughs) when you heard the whispering i'm like okay hopefully this is just like being kind of metaphorical yeah it's later on no (laughs) maggie also hears the whispering and she's like what was that yeah. I'm like, oh no, it's literal. They're literally talking to her. I just want to say that would be really stressful, especially as someone who, you know, likes to have not a lot of books, but like some books in their apartment and in their house. Like, what if they're whispering to you all the time? I know. I would hate that. <laughs> It'd be super obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. So, the very beginning of the story, uh, their lives are disrupted with the arrival of a mysterious scar-faced man yes named Dustfinger. so the, the way the book kind of portrays this is like it's a dark and stormy night and like maggie is like sitting in her room with a lot of candles which is a fire hazard and her father has told her many times not to have them but she loves it uh, <laughs> yeah and she's looking out the window and she sees like a figure in the night and apparently according to um the author this was like an image that she had in her mind for a long time mm. and that kind of blossomed into the story Interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, like, I get why they changed the location for the movie because there's, like, a brief 
little chase. Yeah. Uh, where Dustfinger kind of chases Mo, um, which I'm guessing is why they kind of had it in this more active outdoor market area. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, that original, like, pitch or image of, like, the yeah. stormy night, like, that's so much more captivating. Visually and, like, mysterious and, like, unsettling. And I'm like, I wish they hadn't changed that. Yeah. And in the book, like, Dustfinger just shows up and Maggie doesn't know why. Um, and then they kind of end up, like, leaving quickly afterwards and Maggie can tell that Mo like is trying to avoid Dustfinger basically. Yeah. And Mo's like kind of keeping, he, he's not telling Maggie things, which is weird uh, yeah. for her because they have a very close relationship and seeing him lie and kind of not tell her things is like unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, but she knows something, there's something weird about this man, Dustfinger. Yeah. Also his uh, ferret, his horned ferret. His Martin. Martin. Ian. But that is a ferret, right? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you like how it's like, uh, Ian, it's um, Martin. Actually. I don't know what that is, but. (laughs) Well, I assumed it was something different until I saw it in the movie. I'm like, oh, that's just a ferret, right? But who knows? I'm just going to say that it's a different type of animal. Well, it's certainly different with the horns on it. Yes. Uh, Also, I was honestly very happy that they just had like a real ferret or weasel or martin in the yeah, film that they yeah. just had horns on like Not it like was cgi yeah it was very cute it was cute um his but name I, is gwyn gwyn i love in the book though and they portray this in the film too also but he's definitely like a wild animal feral feral yeah like yeah. you know Dustfinger kind of keeps him in its backpack but like he also, he's also constantly like doing his own thing off hunting kind of and it's like clear that he's like not a pet yeah, and, like, if you hold him for too long, he'll bite you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's like, leave me alone. Let me live my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just really appreciated that, that, like, oh, the cute, cool little mascot creature, like, yeah. isn't, like, tamed or anything, and he's, like, very, he's just edgy, you know what I mean? Yeah. He hasn't had a good night's sleep. He just wants you to leave him alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In the movie, there's this whole, like, chase sequence with Mo and Dustfinger. It's very brief. It is brief. And, like, Mo has this book that he's been looking for as well. It's um, ink art. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> but similarly, in both stories, like, Mo and Maggie kind of, like, take off. Yeah. And because I, Dustfinger actually tells Mo, like, uh, Capricorn is at your house. Like, they're looking for you. Yeah. And we don't know who any of these people are or anything, but Mo, like, knows he can't go back home right now. Mm-hmm. So he and um, Maggie, even more spontaneously than the book, leave for aunt, the, Eleanor's. aunt Eleanor's house. And it was um, Maggie's mom's aunt. Yes. And Maggie's mom is kind of just, like, gone. Yeah. We don't really know what happened like little details come out like at one point we're kind of told that she just kind of left because mo insists that she's still alive somewhere yeah but, but then he's also kind of like she didn't really want to leave and you're like what <laughs> please that explain. seems like a lie you would tell your kid after a parent abandoned you they're like no she didn't want to go leave you no <laughs> they they she had to go she had to join the circus they needed her okay listen i didn't tell you this but your mom's a spy okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> but they get to aunt eleanor's house and i think i can safely say that eleanor is my favorite character in this story mine too she's uh she's an older uh woman and kind of stout you know what i mean and just kind of like um, a regular ass, like middle aged or older 
woman who's just like trying to live her life. Yeah, and she immediately is like, I don't like kids. Yeah. And, and is constantly like early on telling Maggie, like, don't touch the books, don't look at the books. Yes. Like, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I care about them. And mm-hmm. they kind of start off very antagonistic, which I like. Yeah, and their relationship definitely builds over the course of the story, which I really love. And she has this massive book collection, rare book collection. Um, and Mo is there to help her restore some of her books. Um, but yeah, I just love Eleanor. She's kind of like, she says what's on her mind. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't ha- feel the need to be nice to people, including Meggie. Yeah. Which I kind of like. Um, And she has like a temper on her and just really loves books and is also kind of like, yeah, I don't have kids. I'm not married. Like, that's not what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. She's like, I I just need my books. Books are my children. Yeah. And they're my company. Mm -hmm. And like, Meggie, don't touch them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's played in the film by Helen Mirren. Yes. Which is a pretty big casting grab. I know. Also, uh, Dust Fingers played by Paul Bettany. Yeah. uh, Who I I actually think does a really good job. I do too. As Dust Finger. Yeah. Um, You know, any problems I have with Dust Finger, I think are totally script related. Like, I think he's a really good, he's kind of raggedy, kind of mysterious, kind of dangerous. Yes, but he looks tortured, and I think that's important. Yeah. And then we have uh, Brendan Fraser as Mo. Yes. Which, it, crazy enough, was actually um, Cornelia Funke's suggestion. She actually was a producer on this film. I, I did read that, yeah. Because um, she did have, like, a lot of opinions about, like, the casting and, like, I think the way the story's told and, like, her solution to being... Uh, heard on a lot of these subjects was just to become a producer on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brendan Fraser was actually her first choice, actually kind of who I think she envisioned when she wrote the character. Wow. But it's very odd because like you have a cast of like a lot of British actors, a lot of very good British actors. Yeah. And not to shit on Brendan Fraser, yeah. um, but he definitely feels like the odd man out casting wise. Yeah. I mean, I think he's fine. I didn't have any specific problems with him. No. I think he has like a, a charm to him. Yeah. Like a, he has a very like family friendly face, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think that works. But I don't know. I think casting Mo is just. A difficult thing because he has to be very like captivating. Yes, I agree. I think the um the look of Brendan Fraser, like you said, is 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 good. You know what I mean? He's yeah. He's the right age. You know, he's got a friendly face. You can kind of see him being like a good father. Um, and it does make a lot of sense too when you kind of look at the whole movie and kind of see they're going for more of an action adventure vibe. Yeah, which like given his background in the mummy movies and stuff like is a suitable fit in that way. Mm-hmm. I just think in some of the more dramatic parts, he kind of is like uh, doesn't hold up quite as well. I agree. But but fine. But fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, since we're talking about like Eleanor's books, um, I think we should just mention here how this story just is all about books. Yeah, it's just. Kind of a the whole story of Inkheart is just kind of a love letter almost to, to storytelling and not only like stories, but like books as objects, too, which I appreciated. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that Mo repairs books. Yeah. And they go into detail about it in the story. Like they talk about him, you know, having to like fix covers and the bindings and, mm-hmm. you know, all of this stuff and. They also, it's really cool in the book, um, each chapter begins with like a quote 
from another book, like a popular yeah. book. Yeah, and so, like they're all really good. They all kind of hint at like what the chapter is going to be about. Like, yeah, there's quotes from Lord of the Rings, um, Huck Finn. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. In Peter, there. Pan, Peter Pan. Yeah. Um, a lot of books I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I really liked that. And, and, you know, Eleanor just like kind of, I mean, she reads, she loves to read, but like also just loves books as items Yeah. too, uh, which I could appreciate too, because honestly, when I first picked this book up, um, I really loved books as objects as well. I think that was like an early indicator as to like my future as a graphic designer. Yeah. But, you know, Inkheart has a really cool cover that I like. Um, and the format of it's interesting. It's kind of a squat, more squarish shaped book. Yeah. Uh, which I appreciate just kind of that different shape of it. Uh, and yeah, I just kind of let, love the, the cover and look of it, which is probably why I picked it up at first. Yeah. So I like that the book about books <laughs> is a nice book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at it. Exactly. <laughs> um, after they get to Eleanor's, basically... Dustfinger ends up betraying them. It plays out a little bit differently in the book and the movie. Yeah. In the movie, he just kind of shows up and is like, haha, I brought Capricorn with me. You made me do it. Uh, in the book, he's more like, oh, I was planning this the whole time to distract you. And then Capricorn shows up and they take Mo and they take the book. Yeah. And then they leave. So Maggie and Eleanor and Dustfinger are still there. Um, and then Dustfinger is like, hey, I'm back. I know where they took your dad. I can take you there if you want. And yeah, both. I mean, Eleanor says she's suspicious of him. And Mickey's like, of course we can trust him. But I'm like, how could you not realize that he was the reason that Capricorn showed up in the first place? Yeah, that was very odd to me. Kind of a, almost an oversight. It was weird. Yeah. Um, Either way, they all end up in Capricorn's village. Yeah. The film plays out. And, and it was kind of funny, too, because, like, Adina brought this up to me earlier. Like, why didn't they just take everyone? Yeah. And I get, like, the reasoning in the story, but in terms of, like, the plot, it would have just been faster for everyone to be kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. Just kidnap everyone at once. Yeah. Tip to all you kidnappers out there. Just kidnap get, everybody get them at all. once. It makes it so much simpler. Get all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when they break into the home... They also kind of trash Eleanor's books in the yeah, film. Yeah. They kind of, uh, they burn a lot of them, destroy a lot of them. And this is something that happens later on in the book. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of inserted in a, in a weird way in the novel. So I appreciate them just kind of doing it earlier. Yeah. The only Where, When you would expect it to happen. Like yes. they get to the house, they cause destruction and mayhem, they kidnap them. Yeah. So it makes sense. The only issue is that like, at this point in the film, we've spent, like, almost no time at the house and almost no time with Eleanor. Yeah. So it's kind of a big dramatic moment, but it's also like, all right, I don't know. Do we care that much? Yeah, I don't know her. I don't know really any of these people or what's going on. Um, but they they burn a lot of the books and they kidnap everyone and take them back to Capricorn. And this story takes place in Italy. So um, in both versions, we go to this kind of, like, lost Italian village in the countryside where there was some kind of like earthquake or something that happened and people just abandoned it. And Capricorn kind of came in and created his like base of operations. And, you know, he's a villain and he has villain stuff. He's got a bunch of men with guns <laughs> in the movie. He has a castle. Yes. So. Yeah. He's, uh, he's really got it going on, uh, in both versions. And, 
Capricorn in the film is played by Andy Serkis, most notably known for not being seen in films, but yes. playing characters like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, Caesar in the Planet of the Apes movies. He was Snoke in the new Star Wars. Yeah, motion capture. Yeah, but well, I guess this would have been during that time. Yeah, after Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's on one of the better actors, but he definitely plays it more like funny. He does. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Which sometimes is appreciated, other times not, I'd say. Yeah. Um, like, I'm thinking specifically of the part where he's, like, talking about how he loves duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> In the movie. I did like, I like that part a lot, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I love this world. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... As we're arriving in this village and everybody's kidnapped and you're thrown in jail and stuff, you have to question, hey, Mo, why is this happening? Like, why are these, like, random, like, groups of men trying to kidnap us? Yes. And so uh, Mo gives the uh, the backstory that Maggie's been been wanting to hear and wanting to know about. And he tells her about the night, like, what? 12 years ago or nine years ago, not nine years ago. Yeah. Where he and uh, his wife and Maggie were all sitting around and he was reading out loud from a book in cart. Mm-hmm. And he had these powers that I guess in the movie he was like totally unaware of. Yeah. But basically he can read characters out of stories. Mm-hmm. And whenever he does some other living thing goes into the book. Yeah. And so he read accidentally um Dustfinger, Capricorn, the villain and Basta, Capricorn's kind of henchman out of the story and in went uh Maggie's mother and their two cats. And two cats. RIP the two Both cats. Both the cats. I hope they had a better life in the Inkar book. <laughs> but um so this kind of led to where they are now and ever since then Capricorn has been kind of after Mo. Um, and Dustfinger has also been after Mo because Dustfinger wants Mo to read him back into the story. He's like, take me back. I don't want to be here. Like, this is not my world. And Capricorn, we don't really know why he wants Mo, but we know it can't be good. I mean, he's literally the villain in the book Inkart. So <laughs> yeah. Mo is like, I know that I have to avoid him no matter what. Yeah. And uh, also Capricorn in the book. Like the novel Inkart. Uh, in which I, version? I have of to Inkart? be much more uh, specific now. <laughs> yeah. In the novelization of this story, he's much more just like villainous in a generic way, I guess, which yeah. is kind of why I appreciate Andy Serkis having a little bit more fun with the role. I mean, Capricorn is scary as shit in the novel. He is like very threatening and he's just pale and like yeah. kind of lifeless and Dead creepy. Eyes. Yeah. Um, he also is like a right hand henchman named Basta. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like very loyal to Capricorn mm-hmm. and has like a big knife that he just loves yeah, w- that's waving. His thing. Yeah, he loves his knife. He has a knife. In the movie, he does three quick cuts on people. <laughs> and in the movie, there's a scene as soon as he comes out of the book, he like cuts Moe's arm. Like, immediately. Like he comes out of the book, grabs Mo's arm, makes three quick cuts, and it's like, ha-ha! You know how Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story has that, like, karate chopping yeah. action? That's like Basta with his knife. He just yeah. starts, like, ha-ha! Like, just starts <laughs> chopping at with it. Uh, <laughs> but so, yes, they're brought in, and, like, we kind of find out that uh, Capricorn has stolen all the other copies of Inkheart, 
apparently it's like every copy we're just supposed to believe that he somehow has ma- tracked the ball down. has made sure he's found every copy he's been just like browsing ebay a lot <laughs> he's just been making sure and amazon he's like i want to get all of them yes visiting every tiny bookstore yeah and so he's got all of them and he burns all of them except for one mm-hmm. i guess just to make sure that he has control of it i think so um, I think he just doesn't want anyone to read him back into the story. Yeah, but he really wants uh, Mo, aka Silvertongue, to read out a um a friend of his, as he puts it. Yeah. Um. There's also another Silvertongue in the story too. Yes. Called Darius, and he is not as great of a reader as Mo is. In the book, it's just like he doesn't really have as much of a presence as Mo does when he reads. In the movie, they're like, oh, it's because he has a terrible stutter. Oh, God. I hated this so much. I know. It was just like, why? I know. It felt so mean. Like, it's one thing to, like, not be able to read out of a book as well. Yeah. I can't read out of books for shit. Like, it's really hard for me. Um, But no, he has a terrible stutter on top of everything else. It's like, why? Yeah. It's so unnecessary. But he's been able to read things out of books for Capricorn, but he kind of gets them wrong. Um, Flatnose is one of the henchmen, and he's named that because his nose is kind of squished. But, like... Was that not his name before? I don't he was, think so. That's the thing that was confusing to me. Was like, yeah. was he not called that before? I don't think so. <laughs> In the movie, they kind of show his like incompetence with the people come out of the books with like ink and like text on their faces. It's weird. Like I get like, it's kind of a visual. It does make them look like more dangerous. It makes them look like uh, yeah, gang like members or gang. something yeah. with like text written on their face or something. They kind of look like tattoos. tattoos. Um, but it's also kind of like cheesy, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, yeah, so Darius is just not good at his job. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Capricorn's been looking to replace him for a while now. Yes, and he finally has Mo. So he's set. And so to kind of test Mo, Capricorn wants him to first read out a bunch of gold from a story. A bunch of money. A bunch of money. A bunch of treasure. Out of uh, in the novel, he has him read it. He has him read it out of Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think we know what the book is in the movie, do we? A Thousand One Nights. Is it definitely okay? Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if they actually like uh, said it specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Mo and, and Mo's just kind of like, listen, I like literally have no control over this. Yeah, and anything could happen, and people have to go in the book. Uh, so. I like I guess I'll try. <laughs> um so he in the uh in both versions he reads from a book and it's weird cuz in the movie there's this weird effect they keep doing. Yeah. Whenever he reads out of a book and it's kind of like a flickering mm-hmm. uh movie reel effect. Yeah. But it's odd because they do it whenever he and Maggie read something out of a book, but then they also do it on flashbacks. Yeah. And then they also do it like when Dustfinger is thinking about like when he was in the story of Inkheart, like his family. Yeah. And I'm like, when is the usage of this effect? Like, what does it mean? Yeah. Uh, and on top of it, it's just cheesy. It looks like a, a cheap After Effects plugin. Like, it's just like. Yeah. Or an Instagram filter or something. It's more like an Instagram filter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It has that vibe of like an Instagram stories. If yes. If you're doing like a video. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And so he ends up in both stories, in the book and the movie, he reads money out successfully, but then he also accidentally reads uh, a boy 
out of A Thousand and One Nights, his name is Fareed, and because the boy comes out, one of Capricorn's henchmen ends up disappearing into the story. Yeah, the movie keeps kind of doing a visual gag where it shows the henchmen, like, in the story. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I get, but I was also like, the thing in the book that was so unsettling was just someone disappears, Mm -hmm. and you just don't see them. So the thing that I just want to, like, briefly talk about is, like, what are the rules, really, Mm. with the reading? People out and then in? Because in the beginning, we're told that it's, like, Every living thing has to have a substitute. Mm-hmm. So, like, three characters came out, and then one woman and two cats went in. Yes. So, like, animals work. Animals count. But, like, later in the movie, we see, like, all of these animals from, like, all these creatures from books that mm. have been... I mean, we don't know where oh, they came from. Like, yeah. the, mon- the flying monkeys, the unicorn, like, all of these creatures, the minotaur... And we're like, did something go in the book when they were read out? I'm sure they must have. And then, like, I don't know, he brings out money and, like, physical objects. Do physical objects not need, like, a transfer? Yeah, I think it's implied in the book that inanimate objects must also be replaced with other inanimate objects, right? So it's like, is each coin needing, (laughs) like, a substitute? Um In one way, I kind of like it. You know, sometimes he'll read something and a a small living thing will come out. And, like, no one will have disappeared. But he's like, who knows? Maybe it was, like, a fly in the room. Or maybe it was, like, it's kind of... And and maybe it isn't always, like, a one-for-one thing. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe if he got better at it, he could just read things out without things going back in. Maybe. Um, I like that idea a lot of kind of the price you have to pay and the risk of not knowing. Yeah. Uh, It was mentioned at one point. Uh, I was going to say this for lightning round, but (laughs) when his wife first disappeared in the book, he kept trying to like read her back out. Yeah. And at one point he accidentally reads his mailman. (laughs) Yeah. Into the story. Oh my God. He's like, yeah, then my mailman just disappeared. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, (laughs) I know. And I mean, to his credit, he's like, yeah, I shouldn't do this anymore. But I'm like, dude, you just did that to like a rando, like just some poor, <laughs> just some innocent person, random person. Yeah. I'm like, is this a horror story? Like <laughs> it, <laughs> it could, could be. Yeah, it really could be. <laughs> like it's portrayed as magical when Mo reads. But I, I think there, I don't know if the dark side is dealt with enough. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I also couldn't help but wonder, like, what about science fiction? Yeah. Like, would these sci-fi things, like, work in our world? I mean, magic works in our world, so I guess that would, but yeah, I yeah. don't know. There's a lot of interesting questions. There are a lot of questions. Um, and, and the book sometimes addresses this. At one point, Mo looked at a, um, like, a World War II memorial mm-hmm. and kind of said something about, like, keeping his uh, power a secret because he's like, what if people found out words could become reality and kind of looks to that memorial, and I'm like, that's a good question. Like, yeah, could you read people back from the dead? Yeah, can you just read a name and bring people back to life? Like, yeah. um, it kind of addresses some of these bigger ideas. I think is interesting, but maybe not enough. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not sure. I don't know, and we don't find out because they are about to escape. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Quick side note: I just have to mention this before we move on. When the treasure falls in the movie, mm-hmm. the coins that 
happens for like five minutes. <laughs> like the shot of the coins falling it's and like too long. it's so like bags of coins, small coins, people looking at the coins <laughs> falling, like more bags of coins. Like it goes on for so fucking long. I like made two separate notes in my notebook about it. <laughs> too many like, coins. It's still happening. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, they're going to escape. Yeah, and Dustfinger, I guess, feels bad and is like, okay, now that Capricorn burned all the books and I'm mad at him, I'm going to help you escape. Yes. So um, in the book, uh, he kind of unlocks them from their cage and they kind of have to do this like stealthy sneaking to the cars at night. Yeah. Um, for their getaway and Dustfinger has to like disable the other cars. He like slashes their tires. It's very tense. It is very tense. It's a very good little escape scene that I really liked. Yeah. And they drive away, but then eventually the car breaks down. Um, I think they blow a tire. Oh, yeah. Um, And they know that. Uh, Capricorn is on their trail. Like mm-hmm. they have another, there's another car that's coming after them. So then they kind of have to, it's in the middle of the night. They have to like kind of take off into like the Italian wilderness basically. Mm-hmm. And there's a, some concern about snakes because I guess there's a lot of them out there. The one takeaway from this book is just Italy is full of snakes. Yeah. Like don't, all the time. <laughs> don't go out there like just in the wild. Um, but yeah. And so they're all kind of like having to walk and, they know that um, Basta and Flatnose are on their tail, and it is very tense. Yeah, and at one point, Boston and Flatnose catch up to them. Mm-hmm. And once again, I was, like, very tense in this moment. Uh, the book is very interesting because, on one hand, the story's kind of fantastical with, like, magical things. The, the movie definitely adds to the magical quality a lot. Like, yeah. you know, when they get to the village, like you said, they have a, a minotaur and the flying monkeys mm-hmm. and like different things that Darius had read out of the story. Really in the book, it's like very minimal in that aspect. Yeah. It's mostly just people. Yeah. And in that way, like the violence and the threat of violence feels very real. Like Darius is like, he's like, hey, I'm going to cut off all of your fingers and I'm going to stab you. You mean your- <laughs> <laughs> no, not Darius. Yeah, Basta, I'm sorry. <laughs> Basta's like, hey, I'm going to cut off all your fingers and, like, stab your dad and, like, dust yeah. finger going to burn. Like, it's very, like, unsettling. Like, he feels like an unhinged character who really is going to do the things that he threatens. Yeah. Um. And when they manage to escape, like, Mo gets bit by a dog. Yeah. And his arm kind of gets hurt pretty bad. And, mm-hmm. um. I don't know, like things feel like very real for kind of this magical story. And I like too that in the book, the characters, um, even though they're in an adventure story, um, they don't like suddenly become like superheroes, I'll Mm-mm. say. Um, especially like Maggie and Eleanor. Um, like they feel very realistic. And there's multiple like parts of the book where like Eleanor or Maggie will be thinking to themselves because it's often in their perspective like oh I wish like I could be brave and like say something sassy back to these like evil men or do something like really like awesome like hit them and run away and they often do fight back but like they often feel that fear paralyzes them and I think that's like a very real reaction to being in situations like this it really just felt like Maggie's a child Mm -hmm. there's only so much she can do And, like, Eleanor, while, like, a very smart and clever woman, like, is not super, like, athletic or, like, physically fit. she's an older, heavier set woman. And, like, um, yeah, so she has a lot of challenges, you know what I mean, when Mm -hmm. it comes to, like, 
traveling the Italian wilderness for a while. Yeah, yeah. And like fighting off a bunch of men trying to like restrain her or like tie her up and stuff. Yeah, like uh, Farid and um, Dustfinger are kind of like stealthy. They can kind of like, yeah. you know, sneak around effectively. And but that's like their role in the stories it, they came it, from. Exactly. They're kind of the only ones like even Mo. like I think he at, in the stories tries to like sneak into the village like incognito at one point and they uh know it's him and they almost shoot him yeah <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> even he's not like very good at this yeah um so yeah no i i appreciate that quality of the story a lot too mm-hmm. let's talk about the movie's escape because it's a little bit different <laughs> only um, a little i i don't know why the movie seems to really like the wizard of oz it really the movie's just kind of like a um a tour of all of the uh, royalty f- or uh, public domain fantasy <laughs> stories that they could pull from. They're like, look, Peter Pan, the Wizard of Oz, um, generic unicorns. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a lot of the Wizard of Oz. We got the flying monkeys. We have this tornado scene. Later on, we get Toto. Um, what else is there? There's like one other thing. Um, Maybe it was just the laughing like witch that one time when Meg oh, well, the book. Also, we see the guy who gets, I think, substituted for either the storm or Toto. Mm. We see him in Kansas oh, briefly. Yes. Yeah. 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 A lot of Wizard of Oz stuff. Yeah. I'm guessing someone who made this movie really liked the Wizard of Oz. I don't know. Or they're just like, we can take it. It's royalty free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dustfinger is like, hey, what if you read a tornado out of this book and then that'll be great because there'll just be a tornado in the village and that'll help us escape. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just ride the tornado. Yeah, I because when they come up with this plan, I think I said out loud, I'm like, but how are they going to get away from the tornado? And then it's an entire like action scene of them trying to outrun this tornado. Yeah. And I mean, they get away, so I guess it... I guess it works. I but suppose. Yeah, it shouldn't have worked. No. Also in the movie... We see a scene with Dustfinger and this maid in Capricorn's house um, by the name of uh, Risa. Yeah. And we kind of find out immediately because he's talking with her and she's mute. And she was kind of read out of ink heart with like the ink on her face and also um, without a voice. And she draws a picture of her family and shows it to Dustfinger. And it he immediately recognizes it as Mo and Maggie. Yeah, which was weird because like we're meant to understand that like He's known Risa for a while and they have like a rapport with each other and a connection and like yeah. blah, blah, blah. And just so happens in this moment to be like, uh, here's a photo of my husband and my daughter that I just drew that I'm going to show you like right now. And he's yeah. like, oh, no, <laughs> like, yeah, the timing of it was very like, why is this happening now? And he like helps her escape kind of almost. Yeah, he but like, then kind of does. He kind of does. But then. He leaves her behind. Yeah. During the tour. It was a really sad scene because she's mute and she's trying to call, like, they're leaving her and she can't call out to them. Yeah. Mo and Maggie have no idea that she's there. No. Or that she even exists. And Dustfinger sees her and is kind of like, peace. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so they leave her behind. And then, yeah, I guess that's the extent of they almost get crushed by the house in The Wizard of Oz. They get in a car, they drive away. They take Fareed with them in both versions. Yeah, yeah, Fareed is with them now, who's like uh, kind of overwhelmed by being in another world, but he adapts pretty quickly, I would say. Yeah, yeah, he's happy. (laughs) 
So their plan now is the same in both versions, essentially. They want to find another copy of the book Inkheart, Mm -hmm. since Capricorn now has the only copy. And Eleanor was able to track down the author, and so they go to the village that he lives in to go meet him. And Eleanor is like... I'm tired because I'm old and this is way too much. I'm going to go home. (laughs) Yeah. And this is where in the book, she goes back to her house and finds that her library has been destroyed and all her books have been burned, which is very sad. Um, And like you said earlier, it does feel like a more dramatic moment because we know Eleanor a little bit more. Yeah. But it doesn't make a lot of sense because she just leaves and then like comes directly back. When I was also like, when did this happen? Yeah. Like... Was it after they escaped? I I think it's implied that it's after they escaped, but Eleanor took some time to get home. Yeah. But I'm like, wouldn't they just wait for her? Yeah, and like recapture her and then use her as leverage against Mo. Yeah, instead they're like, just burn her stuff and let's go. Yeah. It was a little weird. And then, like you said, she just goes straight back to Mo after that moment. So it was Mm -hmm. like, it felt like uh, Cornelia Funka wanted this moment, but like, Kinda Didn't had know to, where to put it. Yeah, kind of had to shoehorn it in in a weird way. So mm-hmm. so they go to find the author of Inkheart, um, whose name is uh, Senor Fen- Fenolio. Fenolio. And they find him and quickly kind of convince him about their story and are talking, they want to find another copy of Inkheart. It's interesting, in the movie, he has like a manuscript. Mm-hmm. In the book, he doesn't have any copies of it because they've all been stolen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, also, Finolio in the film is played by Jim Broadbent, who is, I've grown to think of him as being like one of the best actors. Yeah. He's good in everything that he's in. <laughs> he's just so funny and like honestly one of the best parts of this film too, I think. He is funny. He's really this. good as the author. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so... Uh, after they they all meet up together and stuff and he learns about uh, what happened in the book, he just believes them very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's kind of a scene where he gets to see Dustfinger. Yeah, because he wants to see one of his characters yeah. come to life. And in the movie, he won't believe it until he sees it. He won't believe them. And it's kind of cool in the movie, we see Dustfinger doing like his fire show. Yeah, I liked this part. Because we didn't get that and the part that we had it in the book when mm-hmm. he did it for Maggie. So this is kind of like that yeah, version of that. Yeah. So. I mean, plus uh, Paul Bettany, yeah. pretty, pretty ripped. He's like, oh, I just have to take this shirt oh, no. off. It's so restrictive <laughs> to my fire performance. <laughs> He's really cool in it. Um, but in the movie, the author just tells Dustfinger to his face that he dies in the book. (laughs) He's like, what? But you, is this because I killed you off in the story? And Dustfinger is literally like, like he just got shot. He's like, oh my God. And like, part of me, like, I don't, almost mind this just because like the etiquette of how you would treat a character from a book would yeah. be weird you might just be like i mean yeah you die in the book like well, so what you yeah know, it might not seem like anything to him mm-hmm. um, but it's very upsetting to Dustfinger, and similarly he finds out um in the uh book as well yeah it's kind of more like he can just tell by looking at maggie yeah uh, after they talk to the and author she tells him yeah and then she confesses and and in the novel Dustfinger decides in that moment that he wants to go back for the book from Capricorn's place. Yeah. Which like 
on one hand seemed dumb. I'm like, you just came from there. Why would you go back? But on the other hand, him kind of finding out his fate in the book, he almost seems like maybe I have nothing to lose. Yeah. Maybe I'm like a dead man no matter what. And Mm -hmm. so like it's almost kind of a bit of a suicide mission. But um, I also really like that Fareed has really taken a liking to Dustfinger. They're definitely of the same like, they're very similar. Yeah. And I think their roles in the stories that they're in are similar, you know, kind of like living on the fringes of society. Um, Farid is, like, among a bunch of thieves in, like, Thousand and One Night stories. And Dustfinger, you know, uh, like, does magic and kind of, like, lives on the road and stuff. And so both of them know how to survive. And they kind mm-hmm. of definitely um, have an affinity for each other. And Farid, in particular like wants to learn how to like set fires and control them like like <laughs> Dustfinger can. He really wants to learn how to light things on fire and then watch them burn. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, but like I, I kind of like that this um kind of team up, especially because Dustfinger is just very reluctant to have anyone along, you know, with him. Yeah. Um there is another change in the film where we find out that Dustfinger has, like, a family yeah. back in this story. Mm-hmm. I was not a fan of this edition. I don't know how I felt about it. Um, It seemed like just a way to want to make Dustfinger, like, you more feel... More sympathetic. S- yeah, more sympathetic, and you just feel sorry for him. Uh, but I just really loved in the book that, like, I don't know, he's just kind of a loner. Yeah. And it's kind of sad the way that he dies... We find out that he dies because, like, uh, one of Capricorn's men is going to kill Gwyn. Yeah. His, his Martin. And he, like, tries to stop it and gets killed. Yeah. Um, And, like, Cap- the, the Capricorn's henchman isn't even named. Yeah. So it's kind of this very sad kind of small death almost in the story. Mm-hmm. And, like, for a character that's just kind of, like, got no home and kind of wandering around. And I kind of love that aspect of Dustfinger. For him to have, like, a wife and a kid, to be like, I have to get home for them, kind of takes something away from his character in my mind. Hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think they definitely tried to make him more likable in the movie. Yeah. Um, He's a little more ambiguous in the book. Yeah. You know, he really has his own motives most of the time, and he does have his own motives in the movie as well, but... They, they make him a little more appealing, I think. And I think a lot of that is um, Paul Bettany mm-hmm. um, just making him very personable and interesting. But yeah, I think like the family aspect and then other decisions that he makes um, in the movie make him a lot more likable. I just want to say, though, like he can like kind of firebend in the movie. Oh, and that's yeah. like not explained. <laughs> I mean, he comes from a magical world. Yeah. I was honestly, I was OK with this change just in terms of like. I get they want to add more fantasy elements to this story. And it's, well, and he he can, like, teach Fareed to do it. That's the part I didn't <laughs> like. He could just, he's like, hey, Fareed, you want to learn how to do magic? Yeah. And Fareed's like, okay. And then later on, he, like, can. Yeah. I was like, okay, no, now <laughs> I'm. Now it's too much. Now it's too much, yeah. Everybody, this is the part where things get a little crazy. Yeah. This is where the book and movie really take their biggest split here. Yeah. In the book. Uh, we, we find out around this time that Eleanor is coming back and Mo has to go pick her up from the airport. So he leaves Maggie, uh, Dustfinger has set off for, back for Capricorns. And at this time is when Basta and Flatnose show up and kidnap Maggie and Fenolio. Fenolio. There's so many names. I'm sorry <laughs> to anyone listening to this who <laughs> is trying to keep up at home. 
<laughs> the henchmen come. Yeah, they they come and they kidnap Maggie and Finaleo. And this happens in both versions of the in the book and the movie. Um, it's interesting because things play out like a little bit differently. Like in the movie, right before they're kidnapped, Maggie realizes that she is also a silver tongue. Yeah. Because she reads Toto out of The Wizard of Oz <laughs> yep. and tells him that he's not in Kansas anymore, which was the biggest groan for me. Just, just like forehead slapping line. Yeah. <laughs> in the in the book, we don't find out that Maggie can do this until after she and Fenolio are already back in um, Capricorn's village. Because they they take her as bait for um, Mo to like come rescue her. Yeah. Like, if we have her, Mo will be coming soon. Uh, in the film, though, as soon as the guys arrive to kidnap her, <laughs> First of all, we get the best line in the whole movie where when she answers the door thinking it's Finolio, it is him. And he's like, I'm sorry, Maggie, but look, it's Basta. <laughs> he's like so excited. He's being like threatened at knife point, but he's so happy that like he's seeing another character from his story. And, yeah. and once again, Jim uh, Broadbent yeah. is just so funny in this role. Yes. Um, so that was a great moment. And then he's also like. Wow, Maggie, is that Toto? Are you saying that you have the exact same power as your dad? The power that these men want to use and which is why they want your dad? And then Basta's like, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So they kidnap Maggie more so because they know she has the same power as her dad. Yeah. And I I just want to mention here how kind of interesting it is more, I'd say, in the book rather than in the movie, but this attitude towards like authors and the portrayal of the author as well. It's kind of funny because Finolio is a little bit like arrogant. Yeah. A little bit kind of like proud of himself that like his creations are here in the real world and is almost like I did this, mm-hmm. even though he, he didn't have the power to actually bring them to life like Mo did. Um, but it's funny because like in his interactions with Capricorn and Basta and this is in that, like, kind of reflected in that movie scene. Yeah. He's more, like, just fascinated mm-hmm. and, like, kind of proud and doesn't quite realize the actual danger, I think, that these people represent. Yeah, and I think it really makes you think about, like, how, you know, it might be easy to write a character who's evil and despicable and horrible. Yeah. And who does horrible things. But, like, in relation to, like, if I ever met a person like that and kind of, like... The idea, if you were creating, like, a real world where these actions actually happened. Yeah. Would you feel differently about it? Like, what would your, would you feel, would you have a conscience about it if you knew this was, like, actually happening in a way? Yeah. And, two in the book, they keep saying that people who read books don't think about the authors at all. Mm. And they keep saying yeah. that. And, like, even Maggie is like, oh, some of my favorite books, I didn't even remember who the author was. And then they are like, and then some of Basta's like henchmen or Capricorn's henchmen, Basta and other people, they make the comments like, oh, no, all authors are like old and dead for many years. Like they're not alive. (laughs) And part of me is wondering, like, did the author like feel like this way? Did was she treated this way? And she's Mm. kind of making a joke about it because I don't think that's true. Like, I know the authors of all my favorite books and like I feel like a lot of authors today are very popular yeah but how much of that is social media yeah which at the time in like 2003 
You know what I mean? Like authors, like they probably had like websites maybe and like That's true. But I think like that connection that we have to authors as like public figures now mm-hmm. because of Twitter and everything else is like much stronger. Like we're much more aware of them as people. Yeah. Where I sometimes mean, in a bad way. Yes. Jackie <laughs> <laughs> Um whereas like I'm sure when she wrote this, like people were a little bit more removed from, like, the authors of their books. Like, thinking that they're dead is maybe an extreme. Yeah. Um, But just kind of, like, not really thinking of them too much as people, Mm -hmm. um, I think is interesting. Something else I wanted to to mention here, it seems like the best point to fit it in, is another aspect of, like, the the book, um, this being a story about books that I really liked was kind of um, their social power in a way, because... Capricorn uh, purposefully makes sure none of his henchmen can read. Yeah. And also the fact that they like literally burn books, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously very Nazi-like. Yeah. And just kind of this um, books being powerful in like the knowledge and the stories that can inspire people and kind of like. Yeah. It's really like an evil and kind of um, greedy thing to like prevent people from being able to read or to gain knowledge in that way. Yeah. And I think the book does a lot of, in a lot of different ways um, and moments kind of like highlights that with like the henchmen. Yeah. How they are kind of like mindless drones, but you can kind of see more clearly how that happened Mm -hmm. with Capricorn setting rules. Like, hey, you can't read. Yeah. You know, so I, I liked that a lot too. Yeah, I agree. It shows the power of books and how, alarming it is when people try to restrict access to them absolutely and um so meggie realizes that she can do this silver tongue thing and capricorn is basically like cool i want you to read my like what what is this thing it's the called shadow. the shadow it's like a monster executioner monster yeah it's just like um an evil thing and we're just told about how evil it is. Yeah. And we never actually know, like, what does it do? How does it, how how did Capricorn use it in the past? Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, he used it for executions. Like, okay, like, a guy with a sword could do that. Yeah. Um, Like, did he, like, destroy, did he, like, eviscerate entire towns with it? Like, yeah. what are we talking about here? Like, what's the extent of, like, this threat? And it's not really explained, but they just know that she's going to have to read it out of the book and it's going to be bad. So, like, she and um Finolio kind of come up with a plan where Finolio decides to try to write an alternate ending to the Inkart story. Mm-hmm. He's fan fictioning his own book. Um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but he's going to write like a kind of a new ending for Capricorn and the Shadow. And if Meggie reads that, they might be able to save the day. Yes. Um, this is where we this are. This is where it goes. Uh, you, can hear, you can hear me turning my page because <laughs> things are um, really going in opposite directions here. And both book and movie in this third act get very convoluted. I mean, you can tell by us having to remember all these names. There's a lot of characters Mm -hmm. and they're kind of in different pairings and those pairings get shuffled and rearranged. And it's (laughs) similar in book and movie, but also like just who characters are with changes and like random little things change. So we are going to start by kind of talking about the book from here to the end. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Maggie and Finolio are captured. That, you know, is true for the book uh, and the film. 
so she knows Mo is going to come after her, and and Mo does. He comes mm-hmm. back with Eleanor, and Dustfinger and Farid are also at the village because they're staking it out. Yeah, uh, Dustfinger wants to steal that last copy of the book because mm-hmm. he still hopes to get back into it someday. Yeah, uh, and. Just to kind of, like, summarize a lot of the various things that occur, it begins with Dustfinger and Fareed heading off Mo and Eleanor when they arrive at the village, kind of before they enter and before they're seen. And they're Grabbing them. Grabbing them, because they're like, you can't go in. Uh, They'll just capture you. I need the book. And (laughs) Tying them up. They tie them up. They restrain them. And then Dustfinger is like, I'm going to go and talk to Risa and see if she can find the book for me. And this is the first time we've met Risa in the book. Yeah. Who we later find out is uh, Maggie's mom and Mo's wife. Yeah. What's interesting in the book is that it's kind of implied that Dustfinger has known the entire time. Which is very fucked up. It's so fucked up. And in fact, he kind of, it seems like he's kind of in love with her. Yeah. Um, And wants her for himself. Um, but not really, like, enough to, like, help her, really. Like, he loves her in a way that is very selfish, I think. And I think your comment about him being, like, a loner is very true. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie, it's at least, like, he only figures it out, like, in that moment. And then decides to leave her. But, <laughs> yeah. like, the fact that he's, like, kind of been denying to himself the whole time that Risa has a family, you know? And he could help her get back to them, but never does. Especially if he cares about her, which it seems like he genuinely does. Like, he seems to love her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not against him having known this whole time. I just wish that was explored more. Because mm-hmm. that really makes him, like, a son of a bitch if he, like, knew yeah. this. And also, it's weird, because, like, couldn't he have used that as a bartering chip with... With Mo. With Mo to be like, hey... I know where your wife if is. If you read me back into the story, I'll tell you where your wife is. Yeah. And then you can figure that out for yourself. Like, yeah. it's weird that he, and I kind of secretly wonder if this book was written in a way where, like, because it's odd that, like, Risa isn't even mentioned until this, like, point so late in the story. Yeah. Like, not as far as I could tell, not even hinted at. Mm-mm. And. Well, Dustfinger does kind of mention that Maggie looks like someone he knows. Mm, okay. I mean, that could have been a throwaway line added later but it kind of like i wonder if this was like something that cornelia funka kind of like worked into the stories it was already going along yeah and kind of because there's a lot of questions i have about this that don't feel like they're adequately definitely addressed and like when he goes to talk to risa he gets captured and risa gets captured yes they're both captured they're both captured and then eleanor and Mo get untied by Fareed because they're like, okay, Dustfinger's not coming back. Like, untie us. Yeah. And Fareed's like, okay. And then Eleanor's like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm going to go get the cops, so I'm going to leave. So she fucks off back to the nearest village, talks to a cop, and the cop is like, okay, like, I'll, like, go investigate. Show me where this village is. So she rides along with the cop up to the village, and the cop, like, drives her to Capricorn's door and is like, Hey, this lady's asking about you. I figured you'd want her back. Yeah. And she gets turned in. And so now she's captured. Which I was like, come on. (laughs) I mean, Eleanor's, I love Eleanor at the beginning. She's so cool. But then towards the last half of the story, her arc is, oh, I went back to my house and then I had to come back. And then my other arc is I went to the police and then I got recaptured. Yes. (laughs) I completely agree. (laughs) Uh, And it's just kind of like, 
there's a real diminishing return here. With on like, the recapturing. On the capturing <laughs> and the... Because, like, I don't know. When they make that first escape. Yeah. And Basta and Flatnose catch up to them. Like, yeah. that was a tense moment. I was oh, like, oh, yeah. my God. Like, I really feel like... I know it's a young adult novel, but I feel like Basta could just stab someone right now. Like, yeah. it's very tense. When, uh, when Dustfinger gets captured again by Basta, I knew right then... That the story was kind of like trailing off because I was just like, yeah. uh, okay, like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. I just kind of had that resignation to it, and I was like, clearly this isn't like as exciting or tense as it had been. Yeah. And same when with Eleanor getting captured, like, all right, now she's captured. Like, okay, like. Yeah, you know, it's definitely a diminishing return on the excitement of being kidnapped for the first time. I know. You know, like you just can't beat the first time that you get kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> After that, it's just not as exciting. That's a high that you'll like never be able to recapture <laughs> is that first kidnapping. Well, and then Dustfinger like escapes almost immediately after being yeah, captured. Yeah, then he gets away later. And yeah. it's kind of this moment where he kind of leaves uh, Risa and Maggie. Yeah, he and, and like tricks Basta into getting like himself locked in prison yes yeah, so and now boss is captured yeah uh it's just like i don't know i really liked the story and like the balance of like magical stuff but like kind of these real world vibes mm-hmm. and like uh i thought the pacing was very good but like in this third act it's just so much of this capturing and escape and like back and forth back yeah that like God, I don't know. It just kind of gets like so repetitive. Yeah. And I think this is something that we notice a lot because we have to recap it. And so maybe this is like something you could do with a book that you've read and just on your own and kind of be like, all right, let me try to write like kind of point by point, like the main beats. Yeah. Just try it because I feel like it has really made us a lot more critical of like story structure. And it's definitely made me more aware of like, you know, acts. Yeah. I'm like thinking about things, not just in a movie way, but in a way that like, how does this story flow? Like, how does this narrative function? And asking questions like, wait, why was Mo kidnapped first? And then like Maggie and Eleanor had to like go join him. Like why, why, what was behind that choice of an author? And those were things that I don't really ask when I'm reading usually, Mm -hmm. but because we have to like recap it, my mind is like in a different place. Yeah, and I even feel like, honestly, if, like, the first time they were captured, like, it's mentioned that uh, Capricorn has, like, different bases. Yeah. Like, if that happened somewhere else, and then... And then they went to the main place. Yeah, like, that would at least be, like, a different setting. Yeah. And would kind of, like, maybe make you a little bit more, like, ooh, okay, like... Now we're at, like, the big base. Yeah, it just feels like when they're dragged, when uh, Maggie and, uh, for... Fenolia. Fenolia. <laughs> Nolio. <laughs> when they're brought back to the village, it's like, okay, now we're just back to the same place. Yeah. And it's like, what has changed since they escaped? Like, they have Fenolio now. What was the point of them escaping? Yeah, they have Fenolio now, but, like, that's literally kind of the only thing in the book that really changed. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just a lot of... And then, so now Mo and Fareed are together. They're the only two that haven't been captured yet. Yeah. <laughs> And so they're like, we have to have a plan to get Maggie out before uh, she has to, because like, because of a note passing back and forth. I don't know. There's just so many little contrived moments that like, we can't even begin to describe how characters know information and like how things are relayed to us. But like, they know the plan of um, Maggie having to read out the shadow and they're like, 
I know, we'll just set fire to everything. We'll just set everything on fire. And Farid is like, oh, yes, I Finally. love fire. <laughs> Farid is just a, py- uh, a uh, pyromaniac, pyromaniac yeah, yeah. In, in training. So the time comes that Maggie has to read this story. She's got to read out the shadow. They, like, put her in a fancy white dress. Um, they got her all ready. But luckily, Finolio has had time to write his fan fiction ending. <laughs> his fanfic. <laughs> of Inkheart. And she slips the page into her sleeve. Mm-hmm. So now uh, Mo has a plan with Fareed. And Maggie has a separate plan. And uh, Finolio helps I like having to make a distraction so Maggie can get the page mm-hmm. out of her sleeve without anyone noticing. Yeah. And then she starts to read this alternate ending and the shadow does appear. Mm-hmm. It does come out. Um, and it's just like a vague monster guy. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of <laughs> this like shadow of fire and smoke and ash and everything. Mm-hmm. And she starts reading the ending where like the shadow kind of turns on Capricorn. Yeah. Um, but I find this interesting she actually can't finish it. Yeah, because, like, you know, it's been brought up a few times that, like, Maggie has kind of, like, had more of a bloodlust um, with yeah. all the times she's been captured and abused and seen people hurt. And that she's kind of just, like, like, earlier on, Dustfinger has bossed at knife point, And she's like, I kind of hope he just kills him. Yeah. Like, I want Dustfinger to kill him. Uh, and so, you know, she seems to be going kind of down, down a dark path almost. In a way, but then when she gets to this point where Capricorn, the most evil man, yeah, has to die, she like can't bring herself to do it. She can't be the. She doesn't want to be the one. Um, and luckily Mo has already set Mo's all the like, fires that he needed to set. He's like, I'll kill a man. He's like, I'm good. I got this. Um, so he steps in and reads the final lines of this alternate ending, which basically, you know, turn Capricorn and his men to dust. <laughs> Uh, Capricorn and the Shadow get together in true fanfic form, and they actually just, like, run away together. That's not what happens. (laughs) Uh, Capricorn and his men disintegrate into dust, and then the Shadow also kind of, like, explodes. And what's interesting, too, is, like, all the people and creatures that the Shadow, like, killed um, come back to life. Or the... Or the people that made the shadow. I don't know how it... Yeah. The shadow is made of, like, the ash of, like, burned victims. Yeah. And so, yeah, the shadow kind of, like, reforms into all those people that it was made from. Mm -hmm. And so, like, all these kind of, like, fairy tale creatures suddenly appear, like... Uh, you know, trolls and goblins and fairies and yeah. glass people. Glass people, yeah. Uh, you know, glass people. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of an interesting, I kind of liked that, that kind yeah. of like magical element. But everybody is like still in the world. And like actually uh, Basta and Magpie, who is Capricorn's mother, they both escape. So Which like, was very interesting because like yeah. all the other henchmen disappeared and it's like we don't, we still don't really have an answer as to, like, why they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but they escape, which is maybe setting up the next book. Who yeah. Knows? And then all these creatures are, like, in this world. And so I love this kind of, like, conclusion. Eleanor is basically like, I know what I'm going to do with, like, my fancy house. I'm going to create, like, a sanctuary for all the Inkheart creatures. Yeah. Like a zoo. <laughs> but they're free range. I'll put them in cages. <laughs> It's like uh, a wildlife preserve. Yeah, yeah, which I really liked that yeah. kind of completing her arc almost since her books burned. Um, meanwhile, Dustfinger shows up. 
Yeah. And he's like, oh, man. He's like, I was too late. Well, I guess he doesn't feel that way in the book. I'm no, sorry. No, Um, That's the film. <laughs> no, he's he's just been, like, hanging out this whole time. So he escapes, but then he doesn't do anything to help anyone in this final confrontation. He literally waits inside a house and is just like, I'll just see what happens. Which I was shocked by, but I kind of liked. I just don't like that he's out of, like, the final... He doesn't have an active role to play, so I don't like that he's not, like, really present in the end of the story. Yeah, I guess it's just, like, you know, the story of, like, the guy always saving his own skin. But then in the final act, he shows up and, like, you know, that's a very, very common, like, character and arc that I kind of like, oh, the guy who's always saved his own skin is saving his own skin again and he's not gonna get it's kind of like more realistic in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. but he doesn't try to have meggie or uh mo read him into the ink heart though yeah that's the thing i didn't understand yeah he just takes the book and like pieces out and farid follows him he's like i'll find another silver tongue yeah another reader which was like i mean maybe he just thought although he could have just lied about where he was maybe he thought that he didn't because he Maybe it's because he abandoned Risa and Matt Maggie earlier. Maybe. He's like, they'll never do this for me. But it wasn't very well explained. But anyway, he uh, he steals the book in cart and Farid joins along with him and they kind of like disappear into the night. Yes. So maybe they appear in the other stories. We don't know how those other books end. Um, but Maggie, Mo and uh, Risa are all reunited, which is very cute. And they end up living with Eleanor and that's the end of the story yeah very a very sweet happy ending and I wasn't sure if this would end on a cliffhanger or not given that there are more books yeah I think it's like a little bit yeah there's like little hints like Basta getting away and Dustfinger disappearing but yeah I thought it was a good balance of that yeah let's talk about the movie yes which is uh equally convoluted but in a different way in a different way and this is something that i want to mention again and we've talked about this before in other episodes i view the movie as a chance to make things simpler and smoother than the book yes the the movie is almost always in a way a kind of like second draft of the story yeah i mean in a lot of ways it has to be shorter and more condensed but it can sometimes be a creative moment where you can be like let's look at these story elements what can we change to make it be a bit smoother what can what will fit better and make it kind of like a more cohesive shorter story like uh with them all just being captured from Eleanor's house instead of just Mo and then they have to follow and um yeah and the movie does do something interesting at this point right before uh Maggie and Finolio, is that right? Yes. Yeah, they're right? <laughs> <laughs> right before they're captured, um, when they find the manuscript that Finolio has of Inkheart, um, at this point, Dustfinger reveals to Mo, he's like, listen, I know where your wife is. She's back at Capricorn's village. Yeah. And Mo's like, what the fuck? He's like, why yeah. are you just now telling me this? He's mm-hmm. like, he's like, why did we, like, we left her. And Dustfinger is like, I couldn't tell you because like the only reason you want the book is, is to, to get, get her out. Back. He's like, yeah. I needed the book. So yeah. I needed to make sure mm-hmm. that you would get it for me. Yeah, exactly. So this is kind of like they strike a deal where, you know, Mo is like, I'll read you out of the book if we can get my wife, Risa back. Yeah. Which I actually think is kind of an interesting kind of butting of heads between them and kind yeah. of a way, a way for the plot to move forward. Because like in the book, 
Like, they've gotten away, they're safe, and then Moe's just like, let's find this author and get a copy of the book, and then, like, let I us mean, be I mean, he still captured. wants to find his wife. I guess. I guess that's... Yeah, I don't know. But it kind of just feels like, and then they get captured again. You know yeah. what I mean? This feels like a little bit more of like a... They know what they're doing, at least. Yeah, they're making an active decision to kind of continue. I mean, Maggie still gets kidnapped, but... Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, Dustfinger, Mo, and then Fareed uh, tags along stealthily, yeah. um, go to the village, and then while they're gone is when Maggie and uh, Fernolio are, are kidnapped. Fenolio. Fenolio. <laughs> I knew I was getting it wrong some way. Um, can we talk about this rooftop scene? <laughs> I would love to talk about this rooftop scene. I don't know what it was about this scene. Just the background was just so wrong of the sky. Yeah, very. The lighting was so weird. Off the the, the green screen background was very off. It in just this. didn't it didn't work for me. And like they jump up on the rooftop to like try um, to get into the village. They don't just jump up there. <laughs> uh, Brendan Fraser has to struggle and oh, climb he really and struggles. like and it's like the roof of like a third, second or third story building. So it's like and high up like there. There's like slate shingles that are falling. They're like seen immediately. So <laughs> it's I'm like, so what dumb. was the plan? Like, what was the plan? I know. Why did you climb up onto this roof? You're just like, like, you're all visible where you are. You're not like hiding. Yeah. Um, and then Mo's like, hey, BRB, I'm going to like go find Risa. And he just goes to her room, sees that there's a bunch of paintings in there. She's not there. And he's like, you know what I want to do? I want to sit on her bed. And look at her paintings. (laughs) Just appreciate them, you know? Yeah. I feel like no one's been appreciating her art, and I want to do that for her. (laughs) So he sits on the bed and flips through her her Even though they're in a high-stress situation Yes. Meanwhile, outside, Dustfinger and Fareed are waiting. They get spotted. Yeah. Fareed runs away, so Dustfinger gets captured in this moment. Yes. Then Fareed is, like, running around the village on his own, like, not sure what to do, when suddenly, like, someone jumps out and grabs him. And it's Mo. Yeah. Mo has like, you know, found Fareed and they're like, okay, what are we gonna do now? And then of course, uh, we get the scene of Dustfinger in jail, and like he tricks Basta to escape and yes. he leaves Maggie. Gwyn attacks Basta. Yes. <laughs> um, he leaves Maggie and yeah, for no Fenolio? Yes. Fenolio. He leaves them in the crypt. Um, and it's so funny because he like leaves them in this like moment, like this big decisive moment and runs off, runs off. He leaves like the whole village. He's like on the way home. And then yeah. he's like, you know what? I should really go back for them. I'm like, <laughs> you went so far. <laughs> like the castles in the distance. I'm like, yeah. your, your time to turn around was like at the top of the steps, not like <laughs> five miles out of the village. Um, so he goes back into the village and then who does he run into? But Mo and Fareed. Yeah. So I literally had to draw a diagram of how they split up. It looks like a football play <laughs> of like, okay, Mo separates from Fareed uh, Dustfinger and then Fareed leaves Dustfinger and then Mo and Fareed reunite and then Dustfinger reunites with Mo and Fareed later. Yeah. It's like they all split up and they all reunited and you're like, what was the point? What was accomplished in all of this? Yeah. It's so convoluted and and meanwhile um, Helen Mirren Eleanor. as Eleanor I, I, yeah, Helen Mirren <laughs> as Eleanor. I, I got that right. <laughs> Don't be so quick to correct me, Adina. <laughs> I'm 
just making sure. <laughs> um, she, in one of the few moments that's like a little more subtle and filmmakery. Um, she was on a train platform to go home. Yeah. And then she sees some kids. And I kind of like, you see like the train pull away and she's still kind of like on the platform. And I was like, I kind of like that moment. It's a little more. Yeah. I don't know. This movie like doesn't do a lot in the, um, I don't know, subtlety department or yeah. like there's not much done cinematography wise or kind of moments like this. So I appreciated this one. Yeah. So she ends up like figuring out that Maggie has been kidnapped and so decides to go after them. And she she gets on like a motorbike. She's walking through the woods. She's <laughs> she's really going for it. Yeah. Yeah. She has her whole little journey back to the village like on her own. Mm-hmm. And now it's time for the ceremony in the movie. And it's kind of similar in the fact that, like, Finolio has written this page that he has to, like, smuggle to Maggie. He has to smuggle it to her during the ceremony as opposed to, like, before. Yeah, I had for So uh, this <laughs> finale, so as opposed to the book, the book was convoluted in a lot of ways leading up to the finale. But then I felt like the finale was, like, pretty clean. Yeah. Like, from that moment on, I'm like, okay, I feel like the pieces are in place and I'm following and this is good. The movie is just, like, there's 20,000 things going on. Yeah, also, like, the ceremony, like, they're filming it on, like, old movie cameras. I think the only reason for that is as, like, a nod to the effect they were doing, like, that flickery film effect. Really? I I cannot think of another reason why they would include this old-timey film (laughs) camera. They also have, like, a spotlight that they're using like they're ver- making this a, a very big production yeah <laughs> like a high production set yeah. basically and Farid and Dustfinger are like we're also gonna go set things on fire instead of it being Mo going with Farid to set things on fire yeah yeah and this is all meant to be a distraction in the book it was like kind of a distraction like it, yeah. it served some purpose uh, not so much in the movie. No, it's just like a fire in the distance. <laughs> yeah, so um, I don't even remember how Finolio gets the page to oh, Maggie. Oh, he gives it to Toto, the dog. Oh, that's right. And then Toto <laughs> runs it up to Maggie. Yeah. So Maggie starts reading this like new addition to the story. Yeah. And right when they want to stop her, Eleanor bursts in. Uh, riding a unicorn and sets all of the animals free with yes. um, Darius's help. I love this part. I do too. And honestly, the CGI in this part was like pretty good. It was. I actually really liked this. The flying monkeys and like even um, the shadow mm-hmm. um, was a really cool effect. And like for, you know, the moments where like they're on the rooftop and you're like, oh, that's such an obvious green screen sky yeah. behind them. Like this moment was like really big and good. The finale was great with the effects. Um, and I love this like subtle nod to Lord of the Rings with uh, Gandalf riding in on Shadow oh, yeah. Facts, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot more subtle than all the uh, Wizard of Oz references. I <laughs> Yes, yes. And I do like Eleanor getting to like do something. Yeah, have a moment. Um, And then like the fire starts in the castle and literally Capricorn just is like, oh no, my castle. And that's like, like that's it. <laughs> the fire serves no function. No. And this is the problem is that like you, everyone is, has a plot. Everyone has a plan. Uh, Eleanor is like, I'm going to storm in with all the animals. Yeah. And then Maggie's like, I have like a different ending to read. Mm-hmm. And then Mo is like, Mo and Dustfinger. Mo is just like, I'm just going to attack Capricorn. Yeah. Mo's like, I'm just going to strike from the shadows. <laughs> Dustfinger's like, let's start a fire. Yeah. And it's just, 
chaos. Absolute it's just chaos. absolute chaos with everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, Ma- Maggie's page gets taken away from her by the magpie, who is uh, Capricorn's mother. And then she's like, I don't know what to do. The shadow is here, but like, I don't have the ending. And then they're like, you can write the story, Maggie. You have the power to write your own story. So she literally starts writing on her arm. Yeah. And like writing while like saying it and the whole chaos of the scene around her, there's like flying monkeys and all this shit. And she's like having to write like a story, like in the middle of it. I'm like, yeah, no pressure under these circumstances. Also, I love how it's like, well, she can't just say it. She has to like read it, even if she's writing it at the same time. I know. And it's like a cheat. What are, (laughs) what's the extent of their power in this situation? Well, and especially in this scene, because literally Maggie is just like, okay, so, uh, Capricorn and his men are going to turn to dust. They do. Yep. The shadow, um, like disappears. Yeah. Everybody who's ever been like read out of a story gets to go home. Yep. And, um, also her mom is not mute anymore. Also the author can go in the story yeah, she's as like, well. Okay, you go in the story. Literally all the rules that they've established about how, when you take someone out, someone has to go in and like the opposite. Yeah. Like, are like, oh, and now everyone was returned to where they belong. And I'm like, what? I know. Well, and like <laughs> in the book, a couple things like, first of all, the author also disappears into the book, but that's because he replaced the shadow. So yeah. they're still keeping it's that one, one for one. Um, Wendy's special or. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, so that makes sense in that context. Um, and it's also implied that like, even though they're kind of like fudging the rules, like Finolio really had to like write this is it like with care yeah and, he like, took a lot it. of time so it it still feels like there has to be like passion to it or like thought behind mm-hmm. it not just like whatever is coming to your mind and also the only things that they affected were things that had come out of books already yeah um so like even though those rules aren't always explicit like they're still kind of there yeah but in this version like she sends Finolio into the book. She has like unlimited power. Yeah, what is she just like a god? Can she <laughs> yeah. just like write something and read it as she says it and basically, it just happens? Basically. Yeah, and just like she's like, You're dead, you're dead, you're in the book, you can speak. Like she's just like everything is being wrapped up in this ridiculous moment. Yes, but the only person who doesn't get to uh, experience her power is Dustfinger because he was too busy setting fires and he missed (laughs) getting to go back into the book. He missed his chance and he's very upset about it. Um, So he's like walking away. Yeah, because he has a whole scene with Fareed where he's just kind of lamenting that he like missed his chance. Yeah. And so he goes to leave. Cut to like the bridge, you know. He's on a bridge leaving the town And then Fareed catches up to him. Yeah. And it's very similar to the scene in the book. You know, Fareed is like, listen, I want to go with you. Mm -hmm. And Dustfinger. Fareed has the book. Yeah. Yeah. Fareed grabbed the book ink heart for him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Dustfinger is grateful. And he's like, are you sure? He's like, I kind of saw you liked that girl. I don't want you to like, you know, kind of waste your life kind of following me around. But Fareed seems to be certain about it. Yeah. And Dustfinger's like, all right, let's go. Let's go. We'll find someone else to read Mm -hmm. me back into this story. And so they leave together and you're like, okay, they're kind of going with that same ending. Yeah. The next moment, they're in a different part now. Different part of the forest. They're in the woods. Yeah. (laughs) 
And suddenly Mo is like, hey, catch, like, hey wait up. <laughs> and they're like, what? And he's like, I made a promise to you that I'm going to read you back in this book. And that's what I'm going to do. And yeah. I was like, what? What? I'm like, what was that entire other scene we just had where it seemed like. Like an emotional thing for him and Fareed to go off together. Yeah. And, and then the, he just reads him back into the story and we see him like running up to his family. Yeah. And then Fareed. Again, no one to one. No, yes. Yeah. And then Fareed is like, well, I guess I'll still hang out with Maggie and we'll just like hang out together. And have a g- <laughs> like, I'm like the whole thing of him just being like, I'm OK. Like, I have a photo of her. That's like all I need. Yeah. It's just like, nope, never mind. Now I'm like, I'm convinced that this scene was like maybe not filmed later, mm. but I think. They filmed was tacked it. On. Yeah, it was tacked on in a way where like maybe they wanted that option in case like they didn't think they were going to make a sequel or mm-hmm. they were worried about the open ending. Because like the fact they go from like that bridge setting to like a totally new setting. Yeah. And that the fact that they just undo a lot of stuff that was brought up in the previous scene. Yeah. Like I wrote in my notes, I was like Dust Fingers three part ending because <laughs> it's like three Back-to-back scenes of him being like, I'm sad, I'm going to go home. Then Fareed catches up to him. And then Mo catches up to him. Yeah. It was, like, a lot. It was a lot. It doesn't quite make sense. And I'm wondering what the decisions were made during production, like, how that affected this. We weren't able to find out anything online if this was, like, an added scene or what. But I'm willing to bet that something was changed and added or moved around a bit. I don't know. It just like, it feels really odd to me. See, if they did have to refilm that, what I would have done is I would have cut the middle scene on the bridge out, start the scene in the woods with Fareed catching up to him with the book. And And maybe, yeah, they're going to leave, but then Mo shows up. You know what I mean? Like kind of try to condense that in a way because it was just really long. (laughs) All right. We did it. We, was that literally, oh yeah, I guess, the last shot is Dustfinger going up family. to who is Jennifer Connolly, by the way, in the film. His wife. Yeah. Yeah. His 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 wife in real life, which is <laughs> kind of funny because she's just like in a couple flashback shots. Yeah, she's just in like a period costume and is like, come home. <laughs> that was definitely a one day shoot for her. Yeah. <laughs> um yes, that's the end of both both versions of the story. Um Which one's better? You you tossing it off to me? Um, I mean, I think I can say pretty confidently I, that I like the book better. Yeah, I'm going to go with the book, too. Yeah. I uh, mean, the book does have its problems, and we talked about yeah. them, especially, like, how complicated it gets towards the end. But I think overall, it's a very magical-feeling story. It does, you know, draw you in. I think, yes, it could have used some editing, but um, we're also reading a translation, so have to keep that in mind. That's true. Um, I mean, that doesn't change like the plot point. No. <laughs> but <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think this book is really great. I love the magic of like getting to explore like books and everything about them and how like characters can come to life. Like I love the concept. Yeah, I, I think the idea of it is really cool. I really like how the story kind of like you know, it introduces, like, it, it plays coy for a while about what's going on. Yeah. Like, it's only until, like, a third of the way through the book that Mo kind of reveals mm-hmm. um, what's going on. And it really holds back on a lot of the magical elements until, like, the end. Yeah. So I really like that pacing out in the book. I get in the movie why they, like, felt the need to heap on more magical elements and, like, action elements. 
like throughout the story, but I really thought that was interesting and unique about the book. Yeah, I just don't think, and I mean, the movie has really great performances. I think the actors are really good in it, but I just don't feel like it captures enough of the book and it doesn't really do anything differently enough that makes me care about it more than I cared about the original story. No, in the book, I just felt like I I really liked the characters. They were very well fleshed out. Um, You know, and and like even when the story got more convoluted, I still you still liked the characters going, you know, involved in it. Um, I guess the film just feels very uninspired. Yeah. Um, Just like the way it's shot and like kind of edited and like the color grading. And I, I don't it just feels very cheap in a lot of ways. And like, yeah. Not the best movie version, but we still have the book, and I'm going to go with book on this. It's book for both of us. Let's do lightning round. Let's do a lightning. So first up for lightning, um, there were a lot of um, different uh, nods to different books, both mentioned like directly, some that were just kind of alluded to, and one that I really loved um, was Eleanor gives Maggie a gift at one point, uh, a book, and she's like, I wanted you to have something that your dad could read to you from that nothing like too bad could come out of her that I don't think. And she just describes the cover Mm -hmm. of like, Oh, like a cliff and like some kids are on it looking (laughs) down at a dog. And I was immediately like, it's where the sidewalk ends. Yeah. And she does like read that poem later. So it was more directly confirmed, but Mm -hmm. like, um, I just like all the nods to different things and like even poetry because I like loved Shel Silverstein so much growing up. Yeah. And like her to include like a reference to that as well. I, I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. I just random thing from the book that you talk about in the end how um, Risa has to write stuff down so they can communicate because she's yeah. mute. And even at the end, they talk about how like the pages and pages they filled writing back to each other. And I'm like. Don't they know about American Sign Language? Yeah, I was... (laughs) Like, why doesn't anyone mention that? At least mention that they're, like, learning it. Yeah. Um, I I guess it's just, like, the whole book is about, like, the written word and stories. I know, but I'm like, it's so much faster. I know. (laughs) And it's not that hard to learn. (laughs) Very, Very... I thought the same thing. I'm like, I hope they learn sign language at some point. Yeah. Um... Something in the movie that was just so funny and silly was it was just the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they have um, Risa captured, you know, and they're like, we're going to execute her when Maggie reads the shadow into existence. We're going to feed them to the shadow. But then they're also like, listen, Maggie, you better do what we say or else we're going to kill your mom. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? The whole, you're going to kill her anyway. <laughs> like, that's the whole plan is you're going to, like, feed her to the shadow. Like, what yeah. do you mean? The, the motivation just wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> they never, like, address how silly or ridiculous that is? No. Uh, last for lightning round, I just want to mention in the book that Dustfinger has befriended the guard dogs at Capricorn's oh, Village. Yeah. And in fact, he's been feeding them cheese, which apparently makes them less good of a tracker. <laughs> yeah. So like when they're trying to flee from Flatnose in Boston, that like um, early scene, the dogs like don't really care and they're not really <laughs> trying to find them because they're, like, they're like, oh, it's like... Derek, it's Dustfinger. Yeah. <laughs> and Boss just pissed off about... I, yeah. I really liked that part too. Yeah. Uh, that's it for lightning round. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. We really enjoyed getting to, for me to revisit this story. Yeah, and for me to read it for the first time. Um, if you would like to support us, you can on Patreon. We have some really wonderful people over there um, who are our patrons, and patrons do get a lot of benefits. They get our bonus podcast. Mm-hmm. We just came out with an episode on the new adaptation of Rebecca uh, for patrons, and they also get priority recommendations. So if they suggest an episode to us, uh, we do it. We do it a lot. So if you'd like to support us, you can um, find us on Patreon. Yes. Also, uh, find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Uh, honestly, if you just go to covertocredits.com, yeah. we've got a brand spanking new website, and that links to all of our social media. All to our, our stuff. To our Patreon. You can listen to episodes there if you want. Um Yeah, so find us there. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, giving us a star rating is super helpful Mm -hmm. um, for us just appearing more on that platform. Uh, Thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.